N.T. Wright, whose full name is Nicholas Thomas Wright, is a prominent theologian, scholar, and author known for his profound contributions to the fields of biblical studies and Christian theology. Born on December 1st, 1948, in Morpeth, North Berlin, United Kingdom, Wright's academic career has been marked by a commitment to exploring the historical and theological context of the New Testament and early Christianity. Wright has held several prestigious academic positions, including serving as the Bishop of Durham in the Church of England. He is widely recognized for his rigorous scholarship and his ability to bridge the gap between academic theology and the broader Christian community. His writings, which include numerous books and articles, have had a significant impact on contemporary discussions surrounding Jesus, the resurrection, and the Christian faith. N.T. Wright's work has not only shaped theological discourse, but has also sparked thoughtful dialogue and debate among theologians, clergy, and lay people alike. His dedication to a more comprehensive understanding of the Bible and its implications for Christian belief and practice continues to influence and inspire individuals around the world. And so now here's part three of a study of salvation or thinking through salvation. In this collection of videos, we're thinking through how we understand and perhaps misunderstand the whole notion of salvation. In some of the previous videos in this sequence, we've looked at how the story of the whole Bible showcases salvation, salvation for God's people, but also salvation for God's whole creation. I now want to pause and just reflect on what happens if we don't tell that whole Bible story. If we don't, it's easy for the idea of salvation to sink back into being salvation is something for me so that when I die, I will go off somewhere else and I'll be safe, whatever happens to the rest of God's creation. And it's easy for some people to imagine that creation itself and our created bodies are bad things or rather shabby, stupid old things from which we're anxious to be released. Actually, in our culture at the moment, there is uh, an ongoing kind of movement, rather like some of the things the early church teachers had to face, of people saying, yeah, this body is, is a bit of rubbish, a bit of trash, and I wish I had a different one or a different kind of identity entirely. No, in the Bible we are told that creation is good, though flawed and fallen because of humans' failure to be the people for creation that God wanted them to be, and that though our bodies are themselves decaying and heading for death, and our bodies are the locus of sin, we sin with and in and through our bodies, nevertheless, that doesn't mean God isn't interested in bodies, God doesn't want to save bodies, God likes bodies, he made them, he came as an embodied human being himself to restore and save and rescue and launch a new creation which is a newly embodied creation. So the body and creation are not things from which we need to be delivered. It's easy to get that wrong. People look around the world 
what we call loosely natural disasters, at sicknesses, at all sorts of things which seem to be deeply embedded within the world we know and which make us say, if, if there is any logic or meaning to the world, this ought not to be thus. And so many people say, somebody said to me once, I was doing a radio phone-in program on uh, Easter weekend, and somebody came in on the phone and said, uh, I'm an old man, uh, I'm looking forward to dying so I can go to heaven, and this stupid old body, it's dragged me down in so many ways. I'm looking forward to getting rid of it. I certainly don't want a body again. And I, my heart went out to that guy. I, I understand that. And now that I'm probably pretty near the age that he was then, I, I see a bit of that. Yes, the body can feel like that. But we are promised new bodies. We are promised uh, a new creation. Um, I've often said, if you see somebody who you've known well who's been very sick, you might say, poor old so-and-so, he's just a, a shadow of his former self. But if you are part of Jesus' family, if you are, as Paul says, in Christ, if you are indwelt by the Spirit, then you are right now just a shadow of your future self. There is a real you which God knows and loves already, and God by his Spirit is shaping you to become that person, that newly embodied person in the resurrection. The trouble is that if we uh, go go back from that, we fall away from the vocation that we have as human beings to be signposts to God's new creation in the present world. There are many Christians, I've heard preachers say, oh, well, the real aim is to go to heaven. That's what we all want. And so we don't bother about social work. We don't bother about care for the poor. We leave that to the government. We leave that to the social services, to the politicians. It's It's tragic when preachers say that because actually, the church through the ages has had pretty good form on education and medicine and specially care of the poor at a time when in the early Roman Empire these were not things that people knew in their bones they ought to do people in the ancient Roman world looked at the poor and said well they're obviously poor because they deserve it they're tough I'm going to feather my own nest I don't care about them but the Christians cared about the poor even when they weren't anything to do with them people were surprised what's that about well we are people of salvation and salvation means God's new creation breaking in already here and now so just because we look at the present world and see that it is transient, see that it's incomplete, see that it is, as Paul says, groaning in travail like a woman going through the labor pains of childbirth, that doesn't mean that creation is evil. Rather, it means that new creation is to be born from the womb of the old. Romans chapter 8 is worth detailed study on that point. Creation was always the early phase of God's plan, the plan to create a world in which he would come and live with his image-bearing creatures. The dwelling of God, remember, is with humans. And the problem comes when we read Genesis 1 and 2 simply as a moral examination, which people fail, because then we scratch our heads and say, oh dear, we've all failed this moral exam. What's going to happen? And somebody comes along and says, well, you obviously deserve to die. And then we say, oh dear, but how, how can I do that? And then we hear a gospel word which says, actually, somebody else died in your place. And well, 
I'd rather people believe that than that they believed in, say, Buddhism or, or um, um, other types of philosophy. But actually, the point of Jesus dying in our place is not because there was a moral examination which we've all failed, but because he was taking on himself the weight of the world's evil, the chaos and disaster of the whole creation. If you read the stories of Jesus going to the cross with your mind and heart open, you will see that it, it is about Jesus taking the place of sinners. He does that for sure. But it's about creation itself, the eclipse, uh, the darkness of the anger and bitterness and betrayal that people heaped onto Jesus. It's as though the stories are saying, this is where the evil of all creation did its worst. And that was the place where God himself in person did his utmost and rescued the world from that sin and death and darkness and chaos by dying under its weight and then by launching in his resurrection the new creation. It's only when you see the story that way that you feel the force of the resurrection. Tragically so often when people have the old image of salvation as just going to heaven in their heads, they preach sermons on Easter day saying Jesus is alive again, therefore there is a heaven and you can go there. That's not the point of the Easter stories. The point of the Easter stories is that God has launched his new creation on earth as in heaven and is now recruiting people to be part of that project because the project is now Genesis 1 renewed, the Abraham project renewed, creation and new creation, covenant and new covenant. And just as Adam and Eve were called to be image bearers, the people of Israel were told you are to be the royal priesthood. And in the book of Revelation, right at the end, well, actually several times in the book of Revelation, but also near the end, the people are told that you have been rescued, saved, not in order that you can go to heaven and loll around doing nothing in particular for the rest of, of eternity, but so that you can be the royal priesthood. Royal because as image bearers you are reflecting God's stewardship into the world. The priesthood because as image bearers you are reflecting the praises of creation back to God. When those who follow Jesus are captured by that vision, they find they have a new vocation which fans out into a thousand different ways of putting this into operation because the whole Bible is telling the story of creation and new creation, not of the abolition of creation, but its rescue, its salvation. And when we claim that lovely word salvation, that is where we're putting ourselves on the map of God's purposes. In this series of videos, we're looking at the whole question of salvation and what it means within the larger story that the Bible tells. And so here I want to try to sum up some of where we've got so far. What is salvation? Well, salvation first and foremost in the Bible is God's rescue plan for his whole creation. Creation seems to have been collapsing into corruption and decay and futility. Paul says that in Romans 8, that the creation has been subject to futility, not because of itself, but because God has allowed it to be subject until he puts humans right. So that's the second part of it, creation 
and humans because creation was designed to work properly when humans, obedient God-reflecting humans, were working in it to do God's will. That's how it was meant to be because God always intended to come himself as a human being to be the ultimate image bearer in his own world, to live with his people and to live there for his creation. So the whole of creation is to be rescued from its slavery to decay, says Paul, but the means by which that happens is through human beings. But for that, human beings themselves have to be rescued because, again, as Paul insists in the letter to the Romans, humans have all sinned. That is, they have all failed in their vocation. They have failed to reflect the glory of God into God's world. And so, as we see in all the New Covenant teaching in the Old Testament. Forgiveness of sins takes place at the heart of the New Covenant purpose, and the New Covenant purpose is for the sake of new creation. It's like a set of Russian dolls. They belong inside one another. And as you can imagine, if you have a child who's given one of those Russian dolls and doesn't realize that one goes inside the other, goes inside the other, and so on, it's easy for us to imagine, if we hear the word salvation, that it simply means, well, I'm a sinner, I need to get to heaven, so God rescues me. And then we have a little sidebar which says, how does God rescue me? And we tell the story of Jesus. Now, as I've said before, much better that somebody believes that. That at least gets you on the map. But then, having got that far, don't stop. Read the whole Bible. See how that little story fits within the larger story. Otherwise, you will land up, as I said in a previous video, with an escapist narrative which leaves the whole purpose of God and creation out of focus or out of the picture entirely. So there's a danger of short-circuiting, is what I'm saying, and, and being settling for something much less than the full biblical picture. So a few of the quick analyses of salvation, the, the what, where, how, when, why, who. Um, it's not always the best way of getting at things, but this may help for this. What is salvation? It is the rescue of God's creation and God's people from futility, from decay, from death itself and from everything which leads in that direction. And because death is what happens when an image bearer has failed to reflect God's image into the world, death is the result of what we call sin. Because sin is the failure to be a genuine human being. The Greek word for sin is hamartia, which means missing the mark. It's from shooting an arrow at something and the arrow goes off course. What is the mark? The mark is genuine image-bearing humanness. And when we fail to be genuine image-bearing humans, we are saying, I don't want to be that sort of a creature. I am courting the disaster of death itself. So salvation from sin, salvation from death, is all about God rescuing humans to be part of his larger creational purpose. So that's the what of salvation, is rescue from death itself, which of course means resurrection. Because as I said in a previous video, if rescue from death means dying and going to heaven, my soul going to heaven, my body staying here, that's not rescue from death, that is a definition of death. Rescue from death means bodily resurrection. That's the what.
Where does this happen? Well, that's a bit of a difficult question. From one point of view, the where is the whole cosmos. God has a plan for the whole of creation. That's where it ultimately happens. But that whole plan has been funneled down from creation as a whole to the human race, from the human race to Israel, from Israel to the exile, and then from the people of the exile down to Jesus himself. God's whole cosmic purpose funneled down onto Jesus so that when we read the stories in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we ought to be able to see in our mind's eye the whole story of the whole creation somehow located, somehow being dealt with in this one man, this man who was God incarnate, this man we know as Jesus, Israel's Messiah, and now the world's Lord. So that it all happened on the cross and in the resurrection. Those are the seminal events. That's where salvation was accomplished and then implemented in the launch of new creation, which then has to go worldwide. So if that's the what and the where, what about the how? How is salvation done, which follows naturally from what I just said? Well, as we tell the story of Jesus, we see him encapsulating in himself the story of Israel, Jesus, as Israel's Messiah, embodies the people in himself. But this people, especially in the book of Isaiah, have a vocation which is to be the servant people, the light to the nations, the people through whose life and work somehow the nations are going to be blessed, despite all the wicked things that they've done. And that purpose then gets funneled down onto the passages we call the serv servant songs in Isaiah chapters 40 to 55. And in chapter 53 particularly, we see the servant of the Lord who is both in one sense Israel and somebody who stands over against Israel, who is in one sense the arm of the Lord. The prophet says, <clears throat> who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? But what it looks like is, a man despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, because forgiveness of sins through the death of the servant lies at the heart of the purpose of salvation. And it's because of that in Isaiah 53 that in Isaiah 54 the covenant is renewed. And because of that in Isaiah 55, creation is renewed. If we could only get our heads into or around the great poem we think of as Isaiah chapters 40 to 55, it would all actually come clear. This is how salvation is accomplished. Through the purpose of God for Israel, as sketched in scripture and in the prophecies, coming true in the sole person of Jesus himself, despised and rejected, Jesus giving himself in love for the sins of the world. That is how salvation was accomplished. Jeff, could we see the slide, please, the full screen slide of this series? So two weeks ago, week one, we talked about how should we define salvation and what happens when you die. Yet last week, we talked about the story of salvation, and it was a three-segment, three-part today just how fallen is creation and how does creation get rescued next week we'll be about why do we need salvation and why does salvation matter now 
I just love this stuff by N.T. I know it's, it might be a little theological for, you know, an average consumer of church. But we're a gathering. We're not a church. We're not average. <laughs> so we're delving down into why and how. And I love this. I love this. So I'm wondering if it's generated any questions among those of you watching and the live stream you can reach us via the chat window type your comments or your questions into the chat or you can text us at 720-878-3323 we're monitoring both the text and the chat right now so here in the sanctuary does anybody have a comment or a question about what you've heard check the hi Linda and Daryl great to have you with us thank you all right Jeff if you'd put up our first question please all right for everybody's benefit how does the Bible study explain the relationship between salvation and the entire creation including the physical world and our bodies anybody What's your, what are your thoughts? How does the Bible study today explain the relationship between salvation and the entire creation? I must admit, in 45 years of being a Christian and 40 of that, over 40 of that, gosh, when was I saved? For the, so in, in, <laughs> in 50 years of being a Christian and in... 40 years of being a, a pastor, I had never thought that salvation encompassed all of creation. That God's purpose was to rescue all of creation and that we then are to be image bearers. I, I just had never considered that before. It never computed. I always thought it was about morality. I always thought the Genesis story was about morality. And so then the coming of Jesus, the need for me to repent and get saved and so that I can go to heaven. And so far in these three lessons, these three weeks, what we've learned is heaven is not the goal. It's not the objective. And that the story of salvation is not about morality. It's about rescue. Any comments? Do you have anything yet? Okay. And I don't see anything in the chat yet. So salvation has to do with not just you. It's, it's not just a personal thing between you and Jesus. Salvation involves the entire creation, the entire cosmos. Think about this verse. This is in... 2 Corinthians chapter 5 Paul wrote this he said God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not just Christians not just Bible believers not just people that sing in the choir God was reconciling the world see it takes in the whole cosmos is the word there 
Bring up that second question, Jeff, if we could. And again, I invite you to comment, those of you that might be watching in the live stream, if you'd like to comment, give an opinion, answer a question, pose a question, 720-878-3323, or type it into the chat. All right, I'm going to go ahead and respond to Ralph here. All right, Ralph says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 19, for all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Thank you, Ralph. Ralph is uh, one of our dear members in Switzerland who watches faithfully every week and, and comments. He's quoting from Romans chapter 8, verse 18 and verse 19. For the creation, Paul wrote, waits for the eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. You remember how N.T. tied the rescue of, of creation to the rescue of human beings. The one can't happen without the other. They're related. It's not just about you accepting Jesus into your heart and going to heaven. It's not about that. That's not the purpose of God. The purpose of God was to rescue the entire cosmos. And he does that through what Jesus did first and foremost through human beings, but then for the entire world. Verse 19, for all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. So we, somebody said it this way, we have been saved, we are being saved, we're going to be saved. So there's a now reality to salvation and there's a future reality to salvation, if you will. Okay, question number two, Jeff. The, uh, no, talk three. Yeah, question number two says the concept of human beings' role in the deg degradation and potential salvation of creation is a key point. Here's the question. What does the Bible study suggest about the responsibility and vocation of humans in God's plan for salvation and new creation? Anybody? I know you're dying to comment, so put it into the chat. Text us. Nina's monitoring the text. Or here in the sanctuary if you have a comment. I must admit, I'd be like you. I'd be, uh, 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 I, I don't know what to say because I had never considered that salvation involves the entire cosmos. It, it was the rescuing of the entire cosmos, not just me, a human being, a sinner, that the story wasn't about morality. So I, I did think some of what he had to say today was a bit confusing based upon some of the things we've studied in the past. So first of all, there's that that I won't get into exactly. But if you're going to talk about saving the whole cosmos and how do we take responsibility for that, I loved what Pastor West was saying this morning in his message. And, you know, when Jesus said, what you do to the least of these, you've done to me. And about caring for the people of the world, really, for instance, would be one way. It, so we would reflect Jesus by caring for people in their need, no matter, by the way, who they are, not just people that are friends, not just people in the church, not just people we like, <laughs> not just people who agree with us, but, but I think that would be one way 
that we would take on the responsibility of reflecting Jesus in the world. So I hear you suggesting that this, embracing this idea of salvation changes how you relate to other human beings, but also to creation. I must say I became far more sensitive, even loving, to people not like me people who didn't even claim to be Christian. And, and sort of the worst of all of that is not just somebody who's fallen and is a sinner. We kind of understand that. Oh, they're just, you know, they're fallen. They can't help it. They're sinners. But people who have another religion, people who are committed to a different religion than I am, surely God can't love them. They're going to go to hell if they don't turn, you know, if they don't repent and get it right and accept the right story. And it's kind of like, oh, Lord, you know, that whole concept of salvation has changed. Now, enter in the earth, the planet. I, I, I used to make fun of people who had a passion for concerns regarding the earth, the planet, the soil, the trees, the water, I'd make fun of tree huggers, I'd call them tree huggers. Now, I think that like anything, there can be extremes. Okay. But I'm even much more sensitive to the fact that God's salvation involves the entire creation and I need to be more sensitive then to what he's given us to steward and that includes the earth the soil the water it bothers me now to see images or pictures of our waterways filled with trash and filth and soot and debris coming from a factory it, it really bothers me now and here I am in Denver, Colorado, far removed from that. It all gets filtered, and what I drink is just fine. Why do I care? Why do I give a crap? You know? But I don't feel that way anymore because I understand that God's plan and purpose isn't just for me, a human being, but it involves all of creation. I've told this before, at least with a few who know how I feel about this, and I know I get chuckles from it, but it bothers me when I'm driving in my car and I see roadkill. I, I, I see a little animal alongside the road who's been killed, obviously, by a car. That never used to bother me, especially as a hunter. My dad trained me to hunt. So I, I would kill animals. Not for their meat. I did not take the animal home and eat the animal meat. I killed it for sheer pleasure. And I'll never, I'll never, never forget the last time I went out with a BB gun just for target practice and I had already begun to change but I hadn't in years and years been out with a gun so I went out with a gun, a pellet gun, CO2, very powerful, 
and I shot a bird and killed it and it fell out of the tree and when I walked up to it I was just devastated I felt so bad that I had just needlessly senselessly taken the life I digress so I think I'm not asking you to be like me this morning I'm asking you to reconsider in what way does the story of salvation and the biblical presentation of salvation involve the entire cosmos and not just me and you as sinners saved by grace questions comments Ralph writes the true translation of stereo is not salvation and I'm not pronouncing the word right I think it's soterio okay so that's the Greek for salvation is not salvation but restoration to wholeness isn't that good Ralph is such a brain yeah that's his part he's the brain I'm just like an armpit sometimes I just feel like an armpit you know I don't know do you ever feel like an armpit (laughs) Ralph's a brain he says the true translation of soterio is not salvation but restoration to wholeness there is no responsibility but an invitation to co-work and co-create with God in an age appropriate way isn't that powerful we, we, we co-create we co-work so when you plant your garden and you take care of it you're co-creating with God you're enriching the soil you're enriching the environment the plants add to the oxygen and the ozone and so you should feel better plant plant a garden and you'll feel better about yourself I know I make light but any other comments yep yeah for people to hear it for people to hear it over the live stream though we we have to have those of you in the sanctuary we have to have you comment over the mic so I just think you know, the biggest part here is it's not all about going to heaven. I think that's the, what this series so is. So that, about. like, encapsulizes yeah, kind of for you. The whole series is, you know, salvation is, isn't just like this is all we think of is going to heaven. We don't realize salvation is here and now and through us. The kingdom of God is here now, now yeah. in us yes. and through us. Yes. Yeah. Jeff, get that third you, you question ready, please. And by the way, we invite opposition or, hey, I don't understand that, or, hey, I have a different view. People have done that in the past. Uh, this is... This is so see this is part of why we're a gathering we invite dialogue I'm not up to here to tell you what and how to believe I'm here to guide and facilitate conversation and and if it's always lockstep then we're not challenged in our thinking all right it's more of a comment than a question really but um yeah, as you were talking about the garden and all of that stuff. Do you ever think that God has created everything to sustain us here and that we haven't even figured half of it out? 
such as different types of plants that can cure diseases or foods that can, you know, cure things. So, um, I don't know if this has any... Yeah, really good thought, Jill. Uh, so, and I would say, I, I might ask you to entertain this. So, it's common today for individuals that are concerned that we don't see as many Bible miracles today as we read about that apparently happened then. Like when Jesus was walking the earth, he, he was always healing and raising the dead and giving people their sight that were blind. And why don't we see those miracles? Well, I wonder if in relationship to what Jill just said, we are seeing as many, in fact, multiplied numbers of miracles through knowledge and science and medicine and the things today that have been uncovered for our redeemed minds to embrace rather than what they couldn't have possibly understood and weren't there scientifically back is there just no relationship in your heart or mind between those does it have to be supernatural right for it to be a miracle I don't know I'm off topic but anybody else third question Jeff if you would and then we're, we're going to spend just a few moments here uh, praying alright here's this third question the speaker addresses common misconceptions about salvation, particularly the idea of salvation is merely an escape to heaven. How does the Bible study correct this view? And what alternative understanding of salvation is presented? Well, I, I think we've talked about that. So I'm going to put up question four and we'll just combine them, Jeff. A central theme of this study is how Jesus' life, death, and resurrection play a pivotal role in the concept of salvation. How does the Bible study describe the way Jesus embodies and fulfills God's plan for salvation and new creation? I'd say that's where N.T. spent a significant part of part two of today. So again, how does the Bible study describe the way Jesus embodies and fulfills God's plan? Anybody want to comment on that? Well, for those who have not necessarily walked with us through this, right. this may not mean anything, but, but I would be interested to know it sounded like he was talking penal substitution, mm -hmm. which I don't embrace anymore. Right. So I don't know the answer to this question. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm glad you brought it up. Because on the surface, it does sound like NT embraces penal substitution. Let me, let me drive something home here, because I'm a follower, and I'm quite versed in what NT does teach. He does believe in substitution, but not penal substitution. There's a difference. Jesus was a substitute, okay? And he took the sin and the brokenness and the virus, if you will, of all that earth was under and all that earth and sin, let's say that, all that sin brought to the earth and to us. And there was a great exchange. He took it. He was a substitute. 
but it was not God in his anger punishing Jesus for our sin and N.T. is really really clear on his commitment to that it's not penal substitution but it is substitutionary death because otherwise sin would wipe us out it would wipe out the earth if just allowed to go uh, run rampant if there was no rescue so Jesus became the focal point of the rescue your rescue as a human the earth's rescue to Ralph's point Romans chapter 8 verse 18 and 19 for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God that's what my dog does my my little Sophie (laughs) she just tilts her (laughs) (laughs) okay All right, everybody, we're going to take just uh, a few moments here. We want to pray for any of the prayer requests that you see.